0: Well, good morning, everyone. Awesome. Love to hear you. Love to sing with you this morning. My name is Quentin. I am the, the lead pastor here at Harvest Calgary South. We're excited to have you all with us. It's awesome to see some some old faces, and that's not necessarily bad, right? That's These are old friends that we have with us uh, coming from Harvest North, some from Harvest Olds, and uh, well, Alan's kind of laughing at the old joke there, but... Um, but yeah, we're so happy to have you guys with us. Our, our big day is finally here. We've been at this for for over a year. Actually, about a year ago, we started meeting as a core group here in South Calgary. Before that, we were a small group out of Harvest Calgary North. But we are we're so excited to finally be officially kicking off as a new church. We're we're so thankful for this space. Uh, new Brighton became available just um, just three weeks ago to us, and we were meeting at a different space that wasn't as ideal. And this is in a neighborhood of thousands and thousands of people. And so we're excited to be here and to be a new church in the South. So yes, our big day is here. Uh, we're officially launching and we're so thankful. I want to just thank a few people before we really get started here. First of all, my wife. My wife has put up with a distracted husband for, for quite, a, quite a while now. Distracted and, and busy at the work of planting and organizing and, and leading. So uh, she has been precious through all of that. Thank my, my sons for the same uh, putting up with, with me, and uh, and busy writing sermons, and, and organizing, and all that as well, and for serving faithfully with us. My two boys are up here with us. I also want to thank our people, our core group. You're precious to us, and and we love you, and um, we pray that you, God would continue to grow us, and mold us into his image, and use us for his glory in this place. I also want to thank Harvest North, and the elders of Harvest North, for being faithful to get behind us and to support us and to approve our launch and to get us off the ground. We're so thankful for you. Um, Also thankful for friends and family who are showing up and newcomers who somehow heard about us uh, we blitzed the neighborhood yesterday with door hangers. We had, we had one phone call that we put a door hanger on on a place with no soliciting, but uh, overall I think we hung 4,000, and, uh, and uh, so we're getting the word out there. We have a couple signs out there, and I know some people have seen that as well, and so we're thankful that you are with us. We, we are in the business of looking for new people. Uh, a core group needs to grow, and we need to, to grow and, and bring glory to the Lord, and so we ask you to, to strongly consider what it means to be a part of the Lord's Church down here in, in South Calgary with us, um, So newcomers, you are welcome here with us. We're glad that you are here. And most of all, we are thankful to the Lord for building his church. Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so we trust him to do that. He is the one that needs to build this. We don't want to manufacture anything fake. We want to be his church for his glory. We want to be a shining light down here in New Brighton. And so would you turn in your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. If you don't have a Bible, just slide your hand up and don't be embarrassed. We have lots of Bibles. We'd love for you to have one. Our ushers have some. There's a person with their hand up over there. Um, Take that Bible. Use it today. If you don't have a Bible at home, Take it home. It's yours. We want you to have God's Word, His sufficient Word in your hand. It is, it's all you need for life and godliness. So, so take that as yours as well. Before we start, I just want to ask you a few questions. As you look around this world, it's all around us. You see all the nationalities. You see all the different religions. You see all the different customs and all the different cultures. As you see all these different people, all these different religions... What makes your faith in Jesus Christ unique? What makes it distinct? Why do you want to be a part of the Christian church? And why are you here this morning? Is it just another choice among many choices out there? Is it just another one of those possibilities? It's, it's maybe, I think this is the best choice, and that's, that's why I'm here. But what makes us distinct? How is this new church? In New Brighton going to stand out as distinct among the nations it's going to be because of Jesus Christ among us what is our source of identity we have a distinct identity in Jesus Christ himself let me pray before we begin father we thank you we thank you for being God and that you love us. We thank you for what you're doing, for what you've done. We thank you for your people. We thank you for your word. Lord, would you give us a spirit of wisdom this morning? Would you open the eyes of our hearts, that they would be enlightened, that we would know the hope that which you have called us. We pray that we would mine the riches of your glorious inheritance in Christ Jesus. Help us to know the greatest power. The greatest power towards us who believe. Help us to treasure our resurrected Lord and King. That our hope and joy would be wrapped up in you, placed in you. You who rule above all power and all authority and dominion. That you are named above all names. Teach us this morning. Change our hearts. Create worshipers out of us. We ask you to do your work. We ask you to do this through your word. I pray this in the name of King Jesus. Amen. So the scripture we're looking at today is Exodus thirty-three, second chapter of your Bible. Uh, pretty hey, most people would know where that is. It's it's uh, it's a pretty famous text. There's been movies made from here, and uh, uh, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, most people know the stories that are found here. Um, most can probably remember. Uh, the story of the Exodus, right? Uh, where God rescues his, his people, his chosen people, the Israelites from, from 400 years of bondage and slavery in Egypt. You remember all the plagues as God challenged Pharaoh to let his people go. Remember the Nile River turned to blood. There was this epidemic of frogs and gnats and, and flies and, and dying cattle there was boils and there was, there was hail and there was locusts. And then there was three days of darkness, which all concludes with the death of the firstborn sons of the Egyptians until, until Pharaoh finally lets God's people go. And so we have this man Moses, the, the chosen servant, the one who's going to lead God's people. And he's going to lead two million people out of Egypt. And they're going to follow him as he follows a pillar of smoke by day and a pillar of fire by night. That's God's very presence with his people. And they miraculously cross this this red sea. Moses goes before them, raises his staff. The sea opens up. The oceans part. And the Israelites cross on dry land. God is amazing in this. And then they get across and, and God closes the waters on the chasing Egyptians. And he drowns them all. And then the people get to the other side of the river and they do what we did this morning. They sing and they rejoice for their salvation. They all rejoice. They see this God leading them by fire and by smoke. He's with them. And then they get to the the base of, of Mount Sinai. And things start to go a little sideways. If you remember the story before this, they, they they fear the Lord, they, they believe in him, they trust in Moses, but they get to the base of this mountain and things start to happen. Remember, remember they're following Moses, he's their, their point of contact. And then Moses goes up the mountain to receive instructions from the Lord. He's receiving instructions about worship. This whole context of Exodus 33 and this surrounding context is about worship, how God wants to be worshipped. Gives them instructions how to build the tabernacle, very detailed, extremely God-like details about how he wants to be worshipped. God's very concerned about how he wants to be worshipped. And he also gives them the Ten Commandments, how we're to respond to the Lord in faith, to respond in light of his holy character. But Moses is up there for a long time because there's a lot to receive from the Lord. And so he's up there 40 days and 40 nights, and the people grow tired. They're thinking that the Lord or that Moses has left them, and the Lord has left them as well. He's not coming back. And so they choose to to follow their hearts, to follow their sin sick hearts, and they choose to worship in their own way. They make a, a golden calf, and they start to worship it, and they start to tell this calf, You're the gods that led us out of Egypt even after they just seen Moses and these pillars of fire with the presence of God leading them out. They're looking to this, this piece of material that they made, and they're saying, you let us out of Egypt. We do that as well. And so they build this golden calf. And the Lord responds. And he's angry. He's livid. His anger burns hot, it says, against his people, and he threatens to destroy them forever. And he wants to start all over again with Moses. Just like he did with Noah. He wanted to start again. And then we also see that Moses himself is furious. Furious at the people for turning so quickly. So furious that he breaks these stone tablets that are written with the finger of God. And then he instructs the Levites to kill 3,000 of the troublemakers. But then Moses goes to intercede on behalf of the people. He goes up to the Lord to seek atonement. The Lord chooses to forgive their sins, but there comes at a cost. And it comes at the cost of his very presence. He says, I want to forgive you, and I will forgive you, but uh, I don't want to go with you. I don't want to go with you. And this brings us to our text today in chapter 33. Starting in verse 1, we'll look at the first uh, seven verses here, or six verses. So starting with this text, we're going to be looking at three very specific applications for us as a new church, how we're going to exist as a new church here in in South Calgary. We're going to look at three critical reasons that, that we as a church need to be extremely concerned with God's presence. We need to be concerned about God's presence in our midst. Our identity is all wrapped up in his incredible presence. His presence has to go with us. It's his presence that makes us distinct. And so this first reality is without God's presence, the temporary is all that we've got. Without God's presence with us, the temporary is all that we've got. So we see this this continuation of, of God's decree to forgive his people, but he says, I don't want to go with you. I'm not going to go into the promised land with you. He tells Moses that the the Israelites themselves are are free to enter the promised land, even though they have seriously rebelled against their Lord. But God forgives their sin, and he will hold to his covenant promise to take them to the land of Canaan. This is a promise that he made 430 years previous to to Abraham in, in Genesis 12. And he says, I will send an angel before you, one that will protect you and one that will care for you, one that will protect you from your enemies. So we see here that they're going to receive, they're going to continue to receive this abundant blessing of the land of Canaan. And they're going to enter it and they're going to go with an angel and they're going to have all the blessings. It's the land that is flowing with milk and honey. But God says, I will not go with you, lest I consume you. Why? Because you are a stiff-necked people. And that cut them to the heart. So in the Old Testament, to be, to be stiff-necked is not a good thing. It's, it's, you need to picture a donkey. A donkey is not easy to, to lead. Stiff-necked means you want to go your own way. So think of it as a stubborn donkey. God's calling his people stubborn donkeys. I think I can be stubborn like a donkey sometimes. And I'm sure... Some days you feel the same as well. And God here, we see that he's, he wants to send them, but he doesn't want to go with them. But he's also a God that takes worship very seriously. And he also takes sin very seriously. And he doesn't think he can trust himself with the Israelites. And so they're going to go, they're going to receive this blessing without having God with them. But the people start to mourn. They start to mourn, and they take off their ornaments. It says that they did this because God said that they were stiff-necked. I wonder if this is godly sorrow, or if it's worldly sorrow. Are they, are they upset because they, they sinned against the Lord, or are, are they upset because they were called stiff-necked? I think it's the, the later. But they take off their ornaments. These ornaments would have been uh, the riches they received as they left Egypt. All the people gave them gold and silver as, as they left. Let me ask you this question. When you, were a, when you were a kid, did you ever have one of those friends who was a friend, uh, not because he likes you, but he's a friend because you have some pretty cool stuff? You guys ever have a friend like that? I think I was... I might have been a friend like that or, or wanting to go to somebody's place and, and they had some awesome G.I. Joes or some, some WrestleMania dolls or something like that. And, and I don't think we call them dolls as boys though, right? They're action figures, right? Um, but yeah, I remember, actually, I remember a friend. He had, he had some great, great toys. And, uh, and I think I was his friend more because of his toys. That's a terrible kind of a friend. And so as you look at this, as you look at God allowing this blessing but not to go with his people... If these people are to consider going, they can be looking to God like, "I like you for what you can give me." I'm not worried about you being with me. This could be the Israelites right here as well. They they love the blessing of God. They love the fact that they've been redeemed from Egypt. But remember, no sooner did they arrive after coming across the Red Sea and standing at the foot of this mountain than they turned from the Lord. How many people here think that if if you've seen God in a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire, that all of a sudden the next day, because because Moses is taking 40 days, that you would turn away and say, actually, you know what? That's not real. This is actually real. I'm going to make this golden calf and I'm going to worship that and tell that calf that you have brought me out of the land of Egypt. It is a reflection of us. We do that. We do that in our own ways. We turn from the Lord all the time, So they love the blessing of the Lord. And I believe many would have been willing to go without Him. So let me ask you, are you satisfied with God's temporary blessings apart from His abiding presence? Are you satisfied with His blessings? So when it comes to your spiritual life, do you worship Jesus for what He can give or who He is? When it comes to To our church, when it comes to the church, are you here for receiving? Or are you here to seek the face of the Lord? We want to be here to seek the face of the Lord. Are you here for the living God? Are you captivated by Him? Do you want to worship Him, to to know Him, to grow in Him? Are you pursuing this incredible God-present relationship that you have been offered? Think about it. The God of the universe offers relationship with you. Or are you merely pursuing him for his benefits? What he can do for you. What he can give you. Something to be thinking about. Friends, without God's presence, the world is all that we've got. The temporary is all that we've got. Yes, he has mercy on us. He has blessed us with this creation around us. But that's all you got if you don't have him. And so as you come to visit This new church this morning, this church called Harvest, we want you to know how thankful that we we are, that you are here. Please know that we desire to serve you in any way that we can. We consider you souls that need service. You may come in here with all kinds of hurts, all kinds of pain. You come in here with life all over you. We want you to know that we're here for you. But more than that, we want you to know this morning that our primary goal as a church, our primary goal here in New Brighton and in South Calgary is not that we have an excellent building with excellent facilities, not that we have the best worship band in town. We don't want to be noticed just for our our cutting-edge programming or that we have some kind of magnetic personality behind the pulpit. Trust me, you don't. We want to be known in Calgary for this, that we are so saturated by the presence of God that we drip Jesus Christ in this town, in this place. We want to abide in the Lord. We want that to be our goal. So although we treasure the benefits and the blessing that come from God, we know that these things mean nothing if God's presence is not with us. They don't mean anything. And so we see in the text here that the Israelites, they start to mourn. But like I said, I don't believe it's godly sorrow. I don't, I don't think that they are longing for Him. I think they're longing to, to go. You know, my wife brought me a, bought me a book about nine years ago, really formative book in my life by John Piper. It's called God as the Gospel. I recommend it to you as a great book to be reading. It was a real great book for the start of my life turning around. And there's a paragraph in this book that has haunted me to this day. And we'll put it up there so that you can read it with me as I read it to you. The critical question for our generation, and for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked... And all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied in heaven if Christ were not there? Just picture it you have all of this, you're inheriting all of this, but if Jesus is there, do you care? Friends, we want you to know that without God's presence, there is, there's absolutely no meaning. The temporary blessings are all that you've got, so enjoy it now, because it's going to end. You need Christ. And so we see these Israelites mourning, and they take off their jewelry, they take off um, what's around their necks, and they begin to mourn. But God removes himself from their midst. In this next section, we're going to see the reality of him removing himself in point two, we're going to see that without God's presence, we will worship in vain. Without God's presence, we will worship in vain. Starting in verse 7. Now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend when Moses turned again into the camp. His assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. So, key verse there. All the people would rise up and worship. Picture picture the Lord, the presence of God, tent of meeting with Moses outside the camp, and yet the people still worship. So, without God's presence, we will worship in vain. As we look into this world around us, millions and millions of people, they love to worship. According to the Joshua Project, there are 7.9 billion people with about 16,000 different people groups in this world with over 4,200 different religions. And then within that, you could define probably thousands of more little sects of that religion. So many unique divisions of faith across this planet. The people of our world want to worship. But the world is worshiping what can be found in the world. They don't have the presence of God. They don't have the true and living God to worship. And so as we look at these Israelites here, we see that God, He very much removed Himself from His people. This this tent was set outside the camp. Symbolizing to God's people that this tabernacle that he's been talking about building, this whole system is coming to an end. He's going to be satisfied with just meeting with Moses in Moses' tent outside of the camp. And so these people, they can see God's manifest presence in a pillar of smoke in front of the tent. But the most disturbing thing that we see here is that they continue to worship They rise up and they worship at their tent doors. It's disturbing because they continue to worship apart from the presence of God. They still worship. Just like the golden calf incident. They knew the presence of God was up on this mountain with with Moses. But they so quickly turned to worship something else. It's like a mirror for us at times. It can be really small things or bigger things, but we turn away from the Lord and we turn in our worship. This is the human condition. You and I were created to worship. We are born worshipers and we will worship. We're excellent at worshiping and we do really good worship apart from God, apart from his presence. We'll worship anything that we can get our hands on. We've been doing it since day one. Do you agree? Just take a look at some of these pictures I've got here. This is just a few pictures of people worshiping across this world, apart from the presence of the true and living God. And as you see some of these pictures, I'm going to read to you from Romans 1 regarding worship, Romans 1, 20 to 23. For his, God's invisible attributes for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We worship all kinds of things today. We worship the world. We worship trees. We worship all kinds of things. Some of those pictures, I mean, that one right there is a picture of, of uh, guess who the band is on stage when that's going on? It's the Beatles. I don't, I don't understand why the girls went so crazy about the Beatles, but they did. Um, and I think there's one more slide here. Would you Would you call that... Worship? Does it remind you of worship a little bit? Anybody watch the Apple announcements? Yeah, there's a lot of worship going on there. But uh, in all reality, we do. We worship anything we can get our hands on. Like the Israelites, our hearts, our hearts, they were longing to worship. They were longing to worship. And without, the, without the God with them, they were still worshiping. And so you name it, we will worship it. Whether it's a a gold Buddha, or a sacred cow, or a religious system, or even a celebrity. It could even be how many likes you have on social media, your your social profile and how you're doing with that. Many things we worship. Even Even in our Western churches, we're prone to worshiping the objects rather than the object himself. You and I were designed to worship the one the one and the only, the living God, and to worship him in the splendor of his holiness. And so we want to be a church that isn't satisfied with empty worship. We don't want to have spiritless worship. We don't want to be satisfied with, with worship that is not filled and fueled with God himself. As we see these Israel, Israelites, they were longing to worship the true and the living God. But we have the living God. We have a living God with us. God is with his people. God tabernacles with us. We have the Holy Spirit. And we pray that that would be our pursuit, to always be utterly dependent on the presence and the Spirit of God with us. We want to be a church that believes that apart from Christ, apart from the presence of God, we might as well go home. apart from god's presence our worship is useless our worship is empty and without god's presence we will worship in vain so we see these israelites worshiping apart from god's personal presence which leads us to our next point in the last section where we are going to discover that without god's presence we miss the whole point without god's presence we miss The whole point from verses twelve to seventeen. So we see Moses, he's in he's in the tent, he's meeting with the Lord, speaking face to face with him. Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, Bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Moses is thinking it's just him going here. Yet you have said, God, I know you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, I have found favor in your sight. Please show me your ways that I may know you in order to find favor in your sight. And then he says this. He says, consider, too, that this nation is your people. And then God says, my presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses replies, If your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? And this is the key verse to take home with you today. Is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord says to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. So like the, like the Israelites who were mourning the loss of God's very presence, Moses wasn't satisfied with God's people worshiping in vain. He wasn't satisfied with God's offer just to send them with an angel. He knew the the promises of God. He knew back in in Exodus 6-7, that before God saved uh, the Jews from Egypt, that he promised the Israelites specific promises. He said back then, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you up from under the burden of the Egyptians. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for possession. I am the Lord. The Lord promised not to just give them the land, not to just give them an an angel. He promised to go with them, to be their God and for for them to be his people. Moses held God to his word, reminding him, reminding the Lord. Just think about that for a minute. You need to think of God within his sovereignty as well. Moses reminding the Lord, of course the Lord knows what's going on here. He wants Moses to learn to learn the truth himself. So this nation and this, this chosen people, we see that Moses himself, he was willing to go to the very ends for them. He was willing to die for them. And he tells God, if your presence will not go with me, basically leave me here. I don't want to go to your land of blessing if you're not going to be there. Like, what's the point of going to the land of promise if the promise one is not going to be there? Moses gets this. He knows the promises. He knows that he needs the presence of God. And he says, is it not with your going with us that we are distinct? Moses gets it. He passes the test. He gets that life and blessing apart from the Lord. Misses the whole point. He gets that the whole purpose of existing, the whole purpose of God's people is God himself. To live for God's glory. That if God is not with him or with his people, we might as well dig some holes and just crawl in those holes and forget the whole thing. He understands it. And so do you feel like that this morning? Do you feel like that, that you cannot go on apart from the Lord being with you? When you wake up in the morning, what's your first thoughts? They're usually on yourself. I know that's usually my thoughts. But we need to aim that our thoughts are on the Lord, all about His presence. When you think about living this this life all on your own, apart from God, does it give you great anxiety? Does it stress you to think about that? Or are you thinking about that? Do you agree with Moses that life apart from the distinct presence of God, is not worth living. So here we see Moses interceding for God's people. This is God's plan through the whole thing. Leading him, meeting with God, having favor with God on behalf of the people. And then he stands up as their substitute and says, I would rather die than to go into the land without you. And he argues for his people's salvation He reminds the Lord that these are your people. These are the people of the covenant promise. And it is God who makes those people distinct from all the nations in the world. So is it not God going with you that makes you distinct? Is it not God going with this church that's going to make us distinct? Friends, we are so prone to living for ourselves, aren't we? But God wants to teach us today That he, he is your purpose. He is everything. And if he's not, you might as well pack your bags and go on vacation and just enjoy what's here. If he's not with this new church, we might as well just sell everything we've got, pack it up, go home. We might as well just disband and, and forget everything. But we don't believe that. We believe that we need to be here for the presence of God. It is God going with us. but The key thing is, is God with us? And how does God become with us? Do you know the Lord? Is he your Savior? Do you know that for sure? We see God answering Moses here. He said, this very thing that you have spoken to me, I will do. For you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. And so God's basically answering Moses, yes, you get it, it is my presence with you, that is the greatest reality that you could ever have, the greatest pursuit in all of history. Moses is interceding for God's people, and God ultimately goes with his people to the promised land. Along the way, they build the tabernacle, and God personally indwells his people through the tabernacle. He is their God, and they are His people. And they are distinct from all the world. And we as the church, we are grafted into this promise. The new covenant is grafted in, and we get to partake of this promise. Because this promise speaks of more than just the land of Canaan. This promise speaks of our eternal life in the kingdom of God as well. And that starts now. God's very presence is our distinct identity and our purpose and without them, we miss the whole point. So trying to be the church, apart from God's presence, is, is trying to be like, just picture the space shuttle at Mount, um, not Mount, um, Cape Canaveral. That'd be interesting if you shot a space shuttle off a mountain, a little less fuel. But it's like trying to shoot this, this space shuttle off without fuel. Right? You've, you've, you've done all the planning. You've done all the training, all the preparation. The astronauts are in the cabin. They're ready to go. The doors are closed up. Everything's ready to go. They're counting it down. But there's no fuel in the tanks. There's nothing there. And that's what it's like to try to do church apart from the presence of God. We're going nowhere. We need to have Him with us. His presence with us. And without Him, we miss the whole point. And so it is with the church, and so it is with our lives. Without God's presence and power, we may look good on the outside. We may may look ready. We may look like a functioning church, but if he's not here, we're going nowhere. And the church is not a building. The church is a body of believers, a body of people that God has radically saved from their sin. His presence is in each of us, and it's our gathering together. God's presence is is made manifest as he transforms us into his image. But do you know him? As Moses interceded for Israel, Jesus interceded for us. Moses' intercession for Israel was only temporary, but God had a plan for eternal intercession for us. As Moses was God's chosen servant, leader and mediator between Israel and God, God had a plan for a greater servant, the perfect servant, the perfect leader, the perfect mediator, God himself, Jesus Christ. Although Moses was favored by God, Moses was a sinner in need of saving himself. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. So like Moses coming down from the mountain to find everything in disarray, everything in a sinful mess, Jesus Christ himself comes down for us. And he came down for us 2,000 years ago. He came down and found us in our wicked sin. He came down to stiff-necked people, sinners like like you and me. He He came down to atone for the sin of God's people. He came down to live the perfect life that we couldn't live. And he did so perfectly, sinlessly. And he did this for you. And he died on a bloody cross, the cross that you and I all deserve for our sin. He took the pain, he took the anguish, he took the wrath, and he died for you. And he calls us all to repent of our sins and to trust and believe in his perfect salvation for us. So, do you know him? Do you know that salvation? It's not too late. Today is the day of salvation. Turn from your your self-focused program and turn your eyes to the Lord. See your sin. Turn from your sin and look to Him. You need God's presence in your life. You need Him today. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For our sake He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of, of God. We have freedom in the Lord. He, when we are saved, he declares us forgiven. He declares us clean. He declares us his own and that we have his righteousness placed upon us. Jesus Christ entered the tabernacle for you. He entered the holy of holies. He defeated sin and death so that you could have new life, that I could have new life and have it abundantly in Christ Jesus to experience the presence of God. And today, as he ascended to heaven 2,000 years ago as well, he continually intercedes for his children, for his church, to the Father. Do you know him? Today is the day of salvation. And Without God's presence, the temporary is all that we've got. Without God's presence, we will worship in vain. Without God's presence, we miss the whole point. And so run to your Savior and seek His face. So we want to be a church who seeks the eternal blessing of God's presence. We want to seek His presence and worship Him, to worship Him in spirit and in truth, to understand and embrace our primary purpose, which is the Lord Jesus Christ and His very presence in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for uh, this account in Exodus, although there's so much there to be even dug deeper into. We see the truth of your presence. We understand, Lord, that it, it is your presence that makes us distinct, that you going with your people makes us distinct, that it makes us unique, it, makes us, it gives us our purpose. And so we thank you for showing that. May we we respond in faith to what you ask of us today. Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to empower us to follow you. That we know that anything in our own flesh and our own strength is absolutely useless. That we would run to you. That we would repent to you. And ask you to keep on changing us. Would you change us? As a people, we want to behold your glory among us and to be changed, and to treasure you as our highest, as our utmost. Lord, we trust you. We ask you to do your work, and we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen.